This podcast is part of the Everyday Heroes Podcast Network, the network for first responders and those who support them. Hey guys, welcome to the Hero Academy podcast, the place where you can celebrate and highlight our frontline heroes, people such as nurses, firemen, EMS, police officers, and military are all heroes without capes. I don't care about politics, only positivity and purpose. I only care about those that have chosen to serve our society. I believe in collaboration over competition. Here, you'll learn the secrets and strategies that let ordinary people become extraordinary inside of their purpose. Sometimes we'll throw in some simple side hustles that everyday regular people are doing, things that you could do to make some extra money, especially if you're starting to think about retirement and what's next. Inside this podcast each week, you'll learn from people like you that were working full time but still found the time to create a course grow a big team, create a coaching program, a large audience, or a profitable side hustle. The steps they took, their backstories, and how they overcame their burnout that they were facing. The perfect blend of mindset and techniques. Carpe diem. Now let's get your dream lit for your freedom. I'm your host and coach, Super Dave. Let's go. Officers directly involved in this net, but those officers who work with that officer. Mm. in that district we provide them the same counseling access to mental health treatment give them a roadmap on things they should and should not do uh the one thing we don't want them to do is to reach out to that employee who was involved in a shooting and ask them to replay that shooting all over again uh you know that's why it's important i like to to get to get to get some training (laughs) right right it's important to understand this. Uh, in officer safety and wellness, I like to equate it to a small fire in your home and you go get the fire extinguisher and put it out, right? Our job is to give you enough training and resources where you won't never have to grab that fire extinguisher because we've given you the resources to keep that fire from occurring. We give you the education, the training, and it has to be done on a regular basis. We do it through in-service school. The first week of, in, of <clears throat> recruits training, they don't get any police training. They get health and wellness. They We talk about trauma in law enforcement. We talk about pre-existing trauma. And we talk about sitting down with a mental health professional to deal with those the traumatic events that occurred to you before you became a police officer. Because we want your sponge to be dry, that's important. And another thing we have to do, Dave, is, uh, excuse me, I don't know why I'm coughing so much. Probably the office. (laughs) Another thing we have to do is we have to shift the paradigm. A a lot of senior police executives who grew up in this culture where there was no such thing as health and wellness or mental health and so forth, they're resistant to this. Because they feel like, hey, I, I, made I made it. I did it. I made it. I did it. I'm fine. Well, if I set you down with a mental health professional, we'll probably find out that you're not fine. Right? <laughs> we'll probably find out that you're medicating, self-medicating yourself with alcohol every night. You're not fine. 
Uh, so we have to change the mindset of those uh, those senior leaders. Uh, I you can tell when a police leader has a very uh, productive police department. That police leader, in every walk of their lives as a police chief or commissioner or sheriff, they'll talk about taking care of their employees. That's my number one goal is to take care of my employees, man. Because if I take care of my employees, they're going to take care of the citizens. If I don't take care of my employees, guess what? They're not going to take care of the citizens. You're going to send a hurt person out in the street that's probably going to hurt somebody else. And you wonder why they beat the hell out of somebody, right? Yeah. Ah, uh, man, that situation in uh, Tennessee. Oh, yeah. Wow. Um, I say this about that: it's awful, horrible what happened. Horrible. You know, um, I, 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 I can't say that I went through my life and never had to struggle or, or fight somebody, but. 99% of the time, if you start off treating people with respect, they will, they will comply. 99% of the time, they will comply. 1% of the time, I don't care how nice you are and professional you are, those people are going to resist you. But that's when your training kicks in. Your training is not for the 99%. Right. Your training is for the 1% of the people who don't comply. And somewhere in police training... We've lost that. We 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 treat the ninety nine percent like we treat the one percent. Well, I I think I think this community of law enforcement. I I say it jokingly, not about the Tyree Nichols situation, but I say it. You know, some people need to have their ass beat. <laughs> yeah. I say it jokingly, but Tyree yeah. Nichols didn't deserve to die, yeah. and yeah. they also failed in their training in being able to. You have five officers there; each person can grab a limb. And they can get him under control and get him in custody. Um, that was more of a they were trying to get their pound of flesh, right? And you know, it's a it, it's it's an old school term, but it's called the pursuit tax. Mm -hmm. You lead the cops on a pursuit, and you pay the tax afterwards. Right. Right. And uh, that's what that was about. And for the you know people that have any time on, they understand that, and it's it's not right that he lost his life, you know. Right, right, and they're they're gonna they're gonna hang for it. Unfortunately, yeah. you know they, yeah. they they was it was it was it they failed in their moral moral character or was it that their department failed them? Is it a little bit of both? What do you think? I, I think it's a little bit of both. I, I think, Dave, if you look at their their body of work leading up to this point, there were breadcrumbs. They were dropped along the way, and no one stopped to pick up a breadcrumb and say. Let's fix this. They allowed it to happen. Yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah, so I've been involved in a lot of uh, uh, pursuits. And your drone is, is running. I mean, you know, you got the siren on and, you know, you you you. You got the lights on, you know, and, and and then sometimes you got uh other cars that have joined in with you and then joined in with you. And they're right. they're right there with you. So right. you know exactly right. I know right. exactly right. what you're so talking you're about. You're at the height, your adrenaline and cortisol is at the height. That hormone is like get yeah, you pump. What we haven't trained our officers to do is that when the chase is over, bring it down. down. We all bring, run up to the down. car and they teach you, don't run up to the car. But everybody because you does. Go up to the car. Yep. 
you're exposing yourself to get shot. Yep. Take your time. Slow down. Stop. Have the driver. Driver. You know, you get on the, the lobby. Driver. Put your left hand out of the car with your keys. Drop the keys on the ground. And slowly give them directions on the comeback to you. You have time on your side. There's no rush. But everybody wants to run to the car and be the first one to grab this guy, you know. And, and that's how police officers get hurt. Yes, it is. And that's how... Um... That's how civilians get hurt too, unfortunately, yeah. Um, yeah. because, like you said, they they don't know how to turn it off and bring it bring it back down. Um, moving on into business, uh, do you have a business outside of what you do on a daily basis? Yeah, so I, I have a LLC uh, is Vernon Heron and Associates, and I do uh, I teach trauma and law enforcement uh, nationally. Uh, you know, I, um, uh, you know, police departments will reach out to me and say, Hey, you know, we heard about you. You want, we want you to help us get our own program together. So I'll, I'll, uh, go to that city and spend a couple of days. I went to the border patrol, uh, which was an eye opening experience for me. I'd never been to the border, but the men and women on the border, they trauma, they see every day, the human suffering they yep. see every day. Yep. And they talk to, talk about it as if it's like uh, a walk in the park because their mind they 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 see it every day. I just talked to one of my border patrol colleagues who said they they just had a had a suicide. They have their share of suicides as well. Uh, so I went uh, and I spent a couple of days down there with them and talked to about two hundred border patrol agents, <clears throat> and I've been to other police departments. You know, I, 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 my, I want my legacy to be this, Dave. I, I want one day before you and I leave this earth that every police department puts health and wellness at the top of the pyramid. When it comes to resources, you know, training, just like we spend the money for weapons and cars and ammunition and tactical vehicles. We ought to be spending an equal amount of those resources to help the men and women who put their lives on the line every day. You know, I, I, I've been through, I can tell you, every police colleague of mine during my 27 and a half year career who was killed in the line of duty and how that took a piece of me and so forth and so on. Um, there needs to be a way, a comprehensive way that every police department mandates when you come into this door. My promise to you is when you leave police work, you're going to be in just as good a shape as you were when you came here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. And thank you for the work that you do. I just had a thought. Um, there's only one Vernon Iran out there. How do you duplicate yourself? How, 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 can, <clears throat> we, how can we make a hundred more of you? Wow. Well, that's a great compliment. So, uh, I do have police officers and, and you know, the commissioner allows them to do I have police commanders or supervisors or health and wellness directors. They'll come here and they'll shadow me for a week. And um, uh, I'll tell them, this is not easy. You you need to, number one, you have to surround yourself with people who can be dedicated to this, right? And every day of your uh, tenure, you have to be out engaging police officers. You can't wait until they've been involved in a traumatic event. You know, we have brochures, we have posters, we have videos 
Uh, we go to districts. Um, um, I, I, I go to a promotional ceremony, a graduate ceremony. I want the officers to see me because the, the biggest hurdle, Dave, in this thing we call health and wellness is trust. Historically, police departments have not been so kind to those officers who've fallen off and uh, been impacted by trauma. You know, if you you come, if you if you're a drunkard, we'll take we'll, we'll fire you. You know, we never think like, why does this person who came to the department as a non-drinker is now an alcoholic? It's simple. People, officers are self-medicating themselves. But uh, I have a. Uh, 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 other police departments come here and they shadow us and so forth. And I'd say, this is what we're doing. Why am I so successful? <clears throat> I think the one intangible that everybody has to have, and it's not anything that I've trademarked, is you, you have to have a passion. Officers feel your passion. And they understand that when you're talking to them, you're just not reciting something that you read in an academic uh, book that this is what you really mean. And, and uh, I guess another reason is because, you know, I've been traumatized and, and I don't have a problem sharing my trauma with others. And it helps others realize like, wow, if he's been through all that and he's made it through, why can't I make it through? So it didn't happen overnight. The struggles here in Baltimore took me about a year to get people to start trusting us. But once they start to trust you, they will call you. I get calls on my phone. And you, you heard my phone ring a couple of times since I've been sitting here. Uh, they'll call and say, hey, can I talk to you? I need to talk to you about something. And I kind of feel like if I'm that lifeline or one of the peer support members is lifeline to keep somebody from going off the deep end, that's that's therapeutic for me. That helps me as well. Now, I was surprised when I know how much you speak around the country and around the world i was surprised that you give out your phone number has, has it ever um ha, like have you ever been out to dinner with with the missus and it's just going <laughs> off and going off and you're like ah baby i gotta take this call <laughs> so carol my wife carol we'd be at home and we'd be in one room about to watch a movie and she said where are your phones i'm like they're in the office she says pause it and she'll go get them i'm like i don't want she says no because they're going to ring. And she understands that this work is important. Uh, <clears throat> I feel like this. I do get my number out. And I get a lot of calls from colleagues who were in the class with you, colleagues in New York City, colleagues in California. And it's the first step. It's the, this is the first time I ever talked to somebody about this. <clears throat> I said, well, wait a minute. Don't you guys have a mental health person embedded in your people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't trust them, and but I need to talk about this, and so I think I'm a conduit. I'll talk to them about. It. I said, listen, I'm not a clinician. Your next, this is your first step. Your next step is to sit down with a clinician. It doesn't have to be the person at the police department hiring. Sit down with somebody and start that conversation. So, <clears throat> I um, uh, yeah, I do get my number out. I get calls. I get text messages. I got a text message from one of your colleagues who said that uh, that session that he said in changes life. So I have to say my department is very good about sending people. They call it the farm. They, uh, they send them from New York to uh, some farm. I think it's literally a farm in PA and it's all okay. 
uh, you you might be aware of this this location, but it's all police officers and firemen. Okay, and uh, that's where they send people when they need to detox. Uh, they they send them to the farm, and then they're allowed to come back to work. Um, and it it seems to not negatively impact their career. It's it's everyone knows that that person went to the farm, but it's kind right. of kept. It's right. it's not it's kind of kept on the hush hush, um, you know. But word always gets out because yeah. the person the person generally tells everybody themselves. Right, 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 right. <laughs> um, going to the farm, and um, I I know a couple of guys that have gone a couple of times now to the farm. Um, and I know that the peer support is very good, but a lot of people aren't aware that it exists. I think that's the number one, the number one problem. Well, maybe the number one problem is trust. Like I said, our department's pretty good in that, in that area. Um, but I think a lot of people don't know that it exists. Like, uh, I I talked to you before we had this this episode about uh, me going through a divorce, and that was like, and I was in special victims at the time, so I was under a lot of stress with case, you know, like heavy content cases and um, sexual and physical abuse of children, and I was also going through a divorce at the same time. So I called up the um, I called up the PBA. Benevolent Association and I said hey I need somebody to talk to and they they sent over a couple of guys that same day and uh and then we just walked around my block and I talked to them wow. and I said I said I'm not suicidal I'm like I'm just under a lot of pressure and I just need somebody to talk to so they got me in touch with a um therapist and I went and saw him for a few months and I felt better and I tell everyone that uh if you're going through something and he told me uh, that the number one reason why people go to see him is because they're going through a divorce situation, you know, wow. and it's, it's so common yeah. that um, like, you know, thank God you never had to go through that situation, but you know, being married stressful too, <laughs> but going through, going through a uh, divorce is like top of the list. You know, like you feel like your home life is falling apart. And then if you have any kind of stress at work, it's like you're under a tremendous amount of stress, you know? So I tell everyone, uh, don't hesitate to seek out therapy. I talked to a guy that was in a, a traumatic situation where he almost lost, lost his life. And I asked him if he ever sought out a therapist. I'm like, you should go. I said, you should, you and you and your wife should go to this guy. Um, He is the absolute best. And uh, during that class that you taught, I also asked them, He's, he's starting to get older now. I said, do you have plans to replace him? Because he's so good. Right. He's so good that he's irreplaceable, you know? Right. right. And it's like you need something in place to replace this guy once he finally retires. Uh, how many more years do you plan on doing what you do? Obviously, you don't do it for the money because uh, you're, you're pretty good off. So how many more years do you plan on? That that's you, you. Did my wife tell you to ask me that question? No, no. I know. I know you're in it. I know you're in it because of your heart. I know you're in it. Yeah. Because yeah. your heart brings you there, yeah. and you love what you do. So I'm just curious. Like I'm the type of person. I don't believe I'll ever stop. I'll ever stop creating content and right. and giving talks and creating right. books. And I I'll never stop working because. Why, why would I, I love what I do. <laughs> and you're you know? changing lives. And, you know, I might not be in this capacity, but I can't see myself 
not talking about this, not advocating for this, advocating for first responders. How often do you fly uh, right now? How often do you travel? Because oh, for me, gosh, for last me, year, I, last year, last year, eight, eight or nine trips. That's not yeah. too bad. That's not no. too bad. That's uh, that's less than once a month. Yeah. Um, I think that's ideal. I think if uh, one of my goals is to travel. 12 times a year and and then just do more virtual things because this is my home office and okay. i love i love working okay. from home okay. so i could i could do this once a week you know yeah. top on a call like this and talk for an hour and and i could do this easy like this is standing on my head because then once i'm done i could just go plop down on the couch turn on some uh right. some podcast or something and start exercise i got my exercise equipment right across the room oh, that's here great. Yeah, yeah so like I'm I already know what I'm going to do and what I what I try to teach people is to have a plan once you get out you know like your whole identity can't be can't be the job the job the job no. you need no. you need an identity outside of the job you need a purpose for once you I I see some some supervisors who have 38 and 40 years wow. in the police department because they don't know what else they would do and they don't right. know what else they would be once they leave. You know, they're just a regular civilian at that point and they don't right. know what they're going to do. So <clears throat> they, sh so a lot of them are struggling with their identity. They like, they just don't know how their skills are transferable. You know, we're problem solvers by nature. Right. And you know, I, 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 I can tell you a couple of cases where, where officers have put in their, their retirement papers and, and driven back to their beat and kill themselves. Oh my God. Do you know what I mean? Because, oh and no one saw it. They were like, hey man, you know, congratulations and so forth. Get your golf game up. And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But internally he was struggling with separating yes. from something that he had been doing for 35 to 40 years. Yes. And, and, and no one talks about, no one talks about that. The separation anxiety right. and 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 the transition out yeah. you know that's it's very real for the military and for the police department when you hold a title like my title is detective your title was major right. Right. when you hold some kind of a title and that is your identity and then all of a sudden you separate from that a lot of people struggle with their identity of who they're going to be afterwards right. like what what am i now who am i now yeah, that's 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 a very important and it's a critical um, uh, problem. And we don't we don't look at it. We just get some out of retirement papers and so forth and so on. I tell people five years before you think you're going to leave, start transitioning. First of all, we 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 mistakenly tell people that you are a police detective. Well, a police detective what is what you do. Yes, that's not who you are. Yes, you're, you're totally you were somebody before you became a police detective and you have to hold on to that. So you need to develop uh, whether skills or just something that fulfills you equally or more than being a police detective. Yes, because I know a lot of colleagues like you is like I talked to this one guy. He had been in the state police for 30 years and he left and then his wife wanted to go out and he said he went in his uniform. I mean, went in his closet and there was nothing there because he had turned all his uniforms in. He said, he didn't have a civilian clothes where I'm like, man, you you definitely have a problem, you know. Uh, 
and all his all his civilian clothes were like the color of the uniform. It was khaki and green and so forth and so on. You know, I know a lot of guys who I see. Uh, so when I'm when I'm off duty, right? And I, I I've always laughed at this over the years, how so many guys didn't know how to dress because they were dressing in like uh their police boots and right. the khakis and right. and the, the plaid shirt they look like right. an off dude they look like an right. undercover or plain clothes right. cop right. Right. <laughs> and right. yeah and they don't know they don't know what else to wear yeah hey dave you mentioned something that, and before we leave i want to mention this uh, one thing that we don't do in police work is we don't provide the training and resources for the family members Yes. Wives coming to um, my wife. Um, the, the first time we went out on a date, I was on call that weekend. Well, I worked in the area. Well, I'm like, I never get called out. That weekend, <laughs> I got called out, and I'm and we're about to walk out the door to go to D.C. I'm like, oh my god, you're not going to believe this. I just got this case, and she says, oh, I wait here. I'm like, no. This is a child abuse case. It's going to be a while, right? So I said, if you don't mind, I can take you to and take you to the state police barrack. You can sit there in the trooper's room until I interview this and that and that and this and so forth and so on. <clears throat> it was We never went out that day. I mean, it was from early afternoon to late at night. I apologize. This is not a problem. She got home. She called her mother. Her mother said the following. I never will forget this. Her mother said, I'm glad you got a chance to experience what he does because you need to make a decision on whether or not this is somebody you want to be with if it got to that point, you know. Mm. And <clears throat> that's something that we don't sit down with wives and kids and listen, your dad or your husband or your brother or your sister still will be those things to you, but they may change. And it's not because of you. It's because of the environment they're currently in. So let's come together. Let's come up with some resources to help you manage that, help you understand. Because like I said in the class, man, your first few years on job, you come home and you're excited about you did this and you did that. And then you come home one day and you're sniffing out and says, how was your, uh, uh, what happened there? You're like, nothing. You know, you don't want to talk about it. And they're like, what did I do? Well, you didn't do anything, but I'm changing because this trauma is overloading my ass and I don't want to talk about it anymore, you know? So that's a part of the education component that we don't convey to the family members. That's something we want to do in Baltimore. Let me ask you this. If you had your own uh, show, like say we could blow up your program, what would your, and you could put it on Netflix or, or HBO, what, what would your show be about? Uh, the most critical thing in my view, in, in in police work and first responders is the number of suicides that occur every year. And I think they can be prevented. I know they can be prevented, but the police departments have to equip themselves with the right resources to help officers manage this trauma. Have you ever done any work with Below 100, that organization? I have not, but I'm familiar with them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they that's <laughs> that's part of their mission. Um, wearing the seatbelt, getting the number right of, of oh. line of duty deaths. I, I think, yeah. yeah, getting it below one hundred. Okay, okay. But I don't think they yeah. do anything with suicide prevention. I think it's more like what you can do: wear your vest and wear your seatbelt. I, I know that no, was that's just as equally important. That was two of the that was the two of the tenants. But like you said, more officers are killing themselves than are being, being killed, killed in line of duty. duty. Right, every year. 
And it wasn't until maybe a decade ago that we started collecting that data. No one was collecting that data. You know why? We want to ignore it. We want to pretend like it didn't happen. Yep. Some police chiefs won't let officers be buried in their uniform if they commit suicide because they say, you, you've embarrassed us. You've shamed us. You're not, you're not a police officer. That's BS. That's BS. It was the job. It was the job. It was the job. <clears throat> hey, I got uh, five rapid fire questions for you okay, before we wrap this thing up because I appreciate right. your time and I'm going to respect your time so much. Um, what's your definition of a hero? My definition of a hero has changed over the years. My definition today is, is someone who has the fortitude to give of themselves to someone else, not necessarily to pull them out of the, uh, uh, off of a track where a train is approaching, but to help them emotionally and mentally by sharing their story with them. Oh, I like and that. I'm all about, I'm all about story. I like, I yeah. like that. When stress is at its highest and you're starting to feel low yourself, how do you save yourself and how do you show yourself love? Yeah. So uh, that's an important question. Uh, I talked about it in the class. I had to get out of my comfort zone with things that I needed to do to make me feel good. I discovered theater and Broadway and art. So I immerse myself in that and it helps me manage the trauma that's going to impact me the next day. Uh, so yeah, every officer, every, every person needs to find something that really makes them feel good. Question number three. Um, there's, there's three, three levels of people, right? There's, uh, there's the mentor, there's the mentee. And then I can't remember what the third is. My mind is drawing blank right now. You should have people that are a little bit ahead of you in life, right? Right. right. Uh, oh, peers, peers. Right. So you're right. all about the peer support. Right. Do you have any coaches in your life now? And do you have any mentees in your life? Absolutely. Um, um, you know, I have a, a, a mentor that has helped me throughout my career. And a mentor is not somebody that's going to tell you what you want to hear. They're going to tell you what you need to hear. And if you are a true mentee, you would take that information and you would use it. Yes. Um, I, I have found my, I have a lot of <clears throat> uh, uh, proteges because somebody's helped me along the way. And, and, and one of the impactful people in my life is my, my late uh, high school principal. You know, I grew up very poor. He made sure that I never missed lunch at school. He always had, hey, here's, here's the lunch money, this and that and that and this. Uh, when it was a state trap meet, he knew we couldn't afford to go up state 300 miles to see a state trap meet. Hey, I'm taking six kids. You want to go? And I saw him later on after I became a police officer. I said, listen, you don't know how impactful that was that somebody was there outside of my family to help me and mentor me. What can I do to repay you? And to my surprise, he said, there is something you can do. And I'm already. What can I do? He says, help somebody else. Mm. He said, become a mentor to somebody else. And then when they come back to you and say, hey, Vernon, you were great. What can I do to repay you? Tell them to help somebody else. Mm -hmm. I always re remember that that uh, life lesson. That is a beautiful life lesson. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, question number four, before we hit the last one, what's your greatest strength, your greatest ability? What is your what is your power, like your personal power right now? Is to understand my, my weaknesses, my Achilles heels. Um, you might not know this, but I, I have a temper. 
<laughs> I got it from my late dad. My dad was a Marine and, and he raised his kids like we were at Camp Lejeune. You know, he was very hard nosed and so forth. And I, I took that from him and I found myself saying things at times when I should have waited. So I have a 24 hour rule. And, and it just happened the other day. Somebody said something to me. I was like, ah, I can't talk to you right now. Let's talk about this tomorrow, right? Um, I I understand what my weaknesses are, and I work on them. I don't say that's just who I am. I say, if it's impacting somebody else, if what I'm going to say doesn't benefit what I want to happen, don't say it and don't do it. So I identify my weaknesses, and I work on them. Just for fun, if you had a comic book superpower... This is my last question. What would your comic power be and why? Oh, wow. That is a good question. Um, you could take the easy cop out and just say you want to fly or you want to be invisible. <laughs> well, you know, growing up, I loved Batman. Okay. And I think I love Batman because Batman was always going to eliminate evil in Gotham City, right? And I always wanted to be that person to do my share and so forth. You know, listen, uh, my superpower would be, and this might sound corny, but, you know, after working in Baltimore and seeing the number of homicides we have, the number of young people who lose their lives over, over nothing, nothing, over nothing. If, if I could, if I can do something just to eliminate the violence in this world, that would be the superpower that I would want. Maybe every time you hear a bullet flying, you're able to move so fast that you can just stop it. Just grab it and just turn it, turn it away from the person. Right. And and to put my hands on them and the, and the change of listen. Don't I pull it, don't pull it, don't pull that trigger. Right. You put your hand on the person. Right. Just right. Stop them from pulling right. that trigger. Right. I, I grew up in East St. Louis, Illinois. I mean I, I'm a product of public housing. You know, it was not unusual for me to walk out of my home and see a prostitute, to see a pimp, to see a drug dealer, to see somebody carrying a gun. Why didn't I fall into that? Well, I had strong parents and strong community and a strong church and a strong, a strong school. All of all of those components have 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 diminished over the years. The family structure, the neighborhood structure, the church, the school. And all those institutions, in my view, are not what they used to be. It's true. So kids, they they emulate what they see. I saw and, a video, unfortunately, of they couldn't have been more than 13, 14-year-olds in a gym somewhere. They had duffel bags full of guns oh in a God. school. And I, I, I was like, oh, my God. It was It was crazy. Right. It was right. crazy. Um, Vernon, thank you. Thank you so much. I know I know you're in the office right now. I just want to say thank you for all of your years of service and the work that you continue to do. Uh, where can people find you? What's the best website um, or, you know, link or whatever? Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm still technology like incompetent here. Are, are you on LinkedIn? Are you on LinkedIn? I am on LinkedIn. And okay. If you, if you ask to be LinkedIn with me, I will accept the invitation. I think we're already family. connected. I think we're yeah. already connected. But um, how about so you don't have a website yet? 
I do not have a website. Oh, I'm gonna get that built for you. I, I'll take care of that. <laughs> we're gonna get we're gonna get that done. We're gonna get the book done. We're gonna get the website done, and we're gonna make Thank sure that people. Dave. I've been thinking about the last conversation we had. Yeah, if I could. Uh... If I can, and thank you for being a conduit to get the word out. That's important because somebody that's listening to us or watching to us right now, so we're going to strike a chord and somebody who has been struggling, suffering in silence is going to get some help. Yes. And that's, that's what, that's my greatest gift to, to mankind is for me to be that, that um, conduit to get people help. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you very much. All and right. uh, don't, don't hang up. Let me just pause this right here. All right. All right, family. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Everyone I interview, I've chosen for you guys because of their story. And I hope that you get some value every single time. If you did get value or just just simply enjoyed the episode, please share the episode with someone that you know. If you know of a guest, a frontline hero that has an amazing story, something uplifting or a positive message, Hit me up in the contact form of www.davidleith.com or DM me at Instagram at davidleith, the number one. Subscribe to the show because I have some really phenomenal guests coming up in the next few weeks that you definitely don't want to miss. All right, one.